You're listening to a DM podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to the new series of Heroes and Howlers. It's me, Mikey Robbins, and my mate Paul Wilson. Hi everybody. Look, we're both still a couple of history tragics, but this season it's not just us doing the heavy lifting. That's right, Mikey. This season we've got special guests picking out their very own heroes. And howlers. <laughs> yeah, we're still on the lookout for those weird bits of history that have surreptitiously changed the course of mankind. And we're still uncovering the cock-ups, those moments of madness that have made the world what it is today. But now we've got backup. And together, we'll be turning history back to front and back again. Hello, folks. Welcome to the show. Um, And we've got another guest for us today. We're very pleased to have in the studio. Mikey, tell us all about it. I'll do this as quickly as I can, Tracy. She's won Walkley's. She was named 2019 New South Wales Premier's Woman of the Year, accepted a Sydney Peace Prize alongside with Tarana Burke. She's anchored news programs on the ABC TV as well as 10. She's got an Order of Australia, a star of TED Talks, over 6 million views. You've worked tirelessly for charity. You're a patron of more than a few. And in amongst that, you've written a couple of bestsellers. The last one is Man Made, a brilliant, incisive, and also highly entertaining look at how the biases of our past are shaping our technological future. Mm. She's not just a woman of influence. She's actually been officially recognised as a woman of influence. And yet somehow, we've coaxed her into the studio today. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to Heroes and Howlers, Tracy Spicer. Thank you for the best intro I have ever had. I'm a huge fan of the show, so I'm fangirling right now. <laughs> Before we get into it, let's talk about man-made and, 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 as you say, the biases of our past, how deep-rooted they are in our technological future. We've got two characters to talk about today who really exercise that. I, I think I know the story, but tell everyone how you got into this book and something your your kids said. It happened seven years ago. My then 11-year-old son turned around and said, Mum, I want a robot slave. Right. I said, darling, what are you talking about? Anyway, we are terrible parents and we'd allowed him to watch the adult cartoon series South Park. <laughs> oh, that's all right. <laughs> where Cartman was ordering around his Amazon Alexa like some kind of colonial master. Right. And I realised it was a light bulb moment that this idea of women and girls being servile in the home was being built into the female-voiced chatbots right. that are in our homes because the ones in the business and finance sector, they all have authoritative male voices. You're right. So the book is looking at you know, how our past has shaped our future. And as such, today you've, you've chosen two pivotal characters. And I've got to be honest, there's one thing I love about doing this new format of the program, Paul. It's people I wasn't aware of. Yes, you've picked two great names for us, uh, a hero and a howler. Um, but you've also yeah picked an area that we haven't really touched upon at all, that this sort of mid-19th century, early 19th century uh, Victorian stuff. We, we, we've got a few names that you will know, like Lord Byron, but yeah. Yeah, as Mikey said, you've got some interesting takes on a couple of other people who really would shape not just... Um, AI and, and intelligence and mathematics, but also, you know, the feminist movement, you know, you've got Mary Somerville coming up, you know, in, in terms of the, the prototype suffragettes. So there's so much to talk about. I think we should get straight into it. Uh, no, before we get oh. started, I just want to say one thing. We will be talking about computing and we will be talking about maths. Yes. <laughs> so I just want you two to keep in mind to explain it to someone who failed year 12 maths because you're explaining it to someone who failed year 12 maths. <laughs> Mikey Robbins, you are still a genius, so don't feel bad about that. Well, no, someone actually had to explain to me that 48% was a fail mark. <laughs> That's, I was just, you know, but anyway, let's go back in time, because if you'd have asked me who Ada Lovelace was, I'd have thought maybe a French folk singer from the 60s. My first thought was Lovelace Watkins, who Paul wouldn't remember. Yes. You remember Lovelace yeah. Watkins. 
So Ada Lovelace. Now, of course, in terms of lineage, she had a very famous father. Yes, her father was Lord Byron. Mm. She was a mathematician, which was very rare for women at that time. And a lot of historians contend, I agree with this, that she was the world's first computer programmer. Mm. And she's not remembered or venerated in the way that she should be, which is why I wrote about her in my book. That's right, because all the limelight's been stolen by shock horror a man, isn't it? There's some baggage with Babbage. <laughs> uh, well, actually, let's, let's go back, because we, we mentioned Lord Byron. Let's face it, Byron never saw her, really. In fact, he went around before she was born saying he was about to have a glorious boy child. Mm. She's born... He nicks off. He does a runner, yeah. He does a runner. Away. And uh, so mum moves her in with her mum. But here's the thing. Her mother was actually quite gifted mathematically. Lord Byron used to call Annabella, I think her name was, Ada's mother, the princess of parallelograms. Mm. <laughs> what a wonderful nickname. <laughs> well, she always thought that Lord Byron was mad, of course. Yes. And so she got Ada to study mathematics to avoid insanity. That's right. She would tell everyone. what She was really worried that her daughter was going to be taking after her father, go insane, because she always obviously blamed Lord Byron and really ch- tried to paint him in a, as bad a light as possible. And I think he, she, she told her daughter the same stories all the way along. Although, interestingly, that didn't put Ada off, did it? She was actually still quite fond in, in one way of her father. Well, in fact, when she dies, she's buried next to him, even though she, she I only found this out while researching for this interview, she didn't know what he looked like until she was 20. Yes, and she we will get to it later, right. but she made a very significant decision later mm. in life that really honoured Lord Byron. But when you think about it in history, he was quite a howler, wasn't he? Some lovely poetry, some quite good swimming. Yeah, and the, the Greeks <laughs> think he's a hero, but yeah, yeah, like, yeah, there's a lot of skeletons in that cupboard. Perhaps we'll look at that one in Extra Helpings, Mikey. But here's, here's the thing. It first comes to light how her brain works when she's 12 and she wants to fly. Mm. She, write, she writes an essay called Flyology. Yes. Where, where she describes the mechanics and all the things she would need to, to construct a, basically a bird outfit. Designing the wings, that's right, yeah. yeah. And her mother said no, but she needed to concentrate more on the maths and everything. At this time, Byron actually writes to his ex-wife and, and, and asks how the child's going. And she says, not devoid of imagination, but is chiefly exercised with her mechanical ingenuity. Now, the other thing, too, is when she was growing up, her mother had a bunch of, like, family, friends and cousins who kept an eye on her, who um, Ada called the Furies, mm. just to make sure she was cracking the books. Oh, I love that. But she did crack the books. and In fact, she was incredibly gifted. Although she didn't see herself necessarily as a mathematician, did she? Yeah, she used the, the, the poetic... Um, yeah, and which is probably one of the reasons why she was a bit more expansive than someone like Babbage. She considered herself a bit more holistic in terms of a scientist. Yes, and we see this throughout the women in computing and artificial intelligence throughout yeah. history. Charles Babbage saw the analytical engine purely from its mathematical capabilities mm. and didn't look at the more holistic societal applications. Mm. Ada Lovelace saw it as beneficial beyond numbers. It could be used for words. It could be used for music. It could be used for poetry. Mm. And she called her approach poetical science. Which, isn't that a wonderful phrase, poetical science? And in fact, I think that's the key thing. And maybe it is the two strands of her parents. She combines that mathematical mm. thing that her mother pursued with her father's love for language. Mm. And like, like when she first breaks through, 
correct me if I'm wrong, there's an Italian guy who writes a, thing, uh, writes a paper mm. and she does the translation. Is that correct? And she adds notes yes, and yes. her notes are longer than the translation. Yeah. Mm. And in those notes, that's where they say that she's the world's first computer programmer because she describes applications beyond mathematics that have been used ever since. That's right. Note number seven, isn't it, is the key one. You know, she really takes it to a different level that, that Babbage wasn't looking at at all. Mm. Well, it's a guy called James Essinger who wrote a book about it called A Female Genius. I was going to quote from this. What she calls the science of operations is indeed, in effect, computing. So do you agree with that? She actually constructed what we would regard as computing. I agree 100%. I think it's a terrible shame that it's taken this long to elevate Ada Lovelace to her place in history where she, mm. she should have rightly been the whole way along. Because mm, mm. she essentially she invents coding, doesn't she, in, in, in one way. Um, she, she's writing the algorithm. Obviously, Babbage, yeah, he has, we're not saying he hasn't achieved anything. You know, he certainly, yeah, he, like you said, the analytical side of, of the mathematical calculation side, he certainly knew what he was doing. Um, but she was trying new things that perhaps he wasn't. Yeah, I think that's the point. What she created was computer programming because mm. there's some new scholarship suggesting that, believe it or not, Australia's First Nations women yeah. created coding because coding is a binary code of zeros and ones in right. computing. They did it. Slow down, slow down. <laughs> Oh, I was astonished by this too. They created it through the medium of weaving, which is a binary code of the warp going over right. and under the weft in the same way as knitting is a binary code of knit one and purl two. Mm. So coding goes all the way back 60, 80,000 years. It's phenomenal. Mm. See, when I say slow down, I don't mean slow down in terms of Indigenous <laughs> women creating it. I just slow down in terms of binary is a word yeah, that Mikey yeah. needs to understand. <laughs> so, but... but, but when we talk about a maths, it was actually Babbage himself because they corresponded for, for years. About four years after they started corresponding, he wrote to her, I think your taste for mathematics is so decided that it ought not to be checked. So even the great, the great man Babbage himself says that her maths is without equal. Mm. Isn't that fantastic? And when you look at that through today's lens, there's still a little bit of narrative in society saying that maths is for boys and English is for girls. Mm. The fact that she could do that all of those hundreds of years back goes to show what mm. a false narrative that is. Oh, exactly. And, you know, I mentioned at the beginning a lady called Mary Somerville, who is one of her tutors, because, as, as Mikey said, she's had a relationship with Babbage. They were working together. They did know each other. But I think this influence from her first tutor, Mary Somerville, one of the great feminist uh, minds of the 19th century, and, of course, who Somerville College at Oxford would name after, um, you know, one of the really important figures in female education. She was actually Ada's tutor, wasn't she, as a young girl? And I didn't realise that until after I wrote the book, actually. But mm. there's a wonderful feminist history there. Mm. Mm. That also goes to show the power of role models and mentors and mm. that you can't be what you can't see. It actually was a very exciting time in history. I think it was, yeah. We always think about suffragettes as early 20th century. But this no. is almost 100 years earlier, these were campaigning for female emancipation, not just a mathematician, but a, you know, a social mind as well. Remember, if you go back in America, the, the suffragette movement is quite often linked to the anti-slavery movement in, in the pre-Civil War era. Mm. So you, you're right, you know, we often think of it as you know, throwing yourself in front of the king's horse, but, but it predates that. Now, the thing with um, Ada, uh, because you know, she gets her name Lovelace because she marries a, a Count Lovelace, and um, apparently as she was dying, her mother made her reconvert to religion, mm. and she confessed something to her husband, 
which made him leave the bedroom and not come back. No one knows what that is, but good on you, Ada. <laughs> but there's one thing I love. In 1841, and this is really personal for me, mm. she wrote this letter called What is Imagination? And she says there are two points. The combining faculty, which seizes points in common between subjects having no apparent connection. Now, the reason I like that is that's how a joke works. Mm. <laughs> oh, now, now please explain that to me. I don't understand well, that. It, well, it goes back to the old concept of like John Donne is probably the best example in Western culture of finding something in common between two disparate ideas. And that link is where wit actually lies. Mm. And so you know, when you look at poems like John Donne's The Flea mm. and how he, how he sort of compares the flea to eternal love, that whole concept of wit, very much in the English tradition, mm. and she's applying it to science. Mm, mm. Fascinating. Yeah, because let's face it, comedy is just punctuation and numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was that easy. Now, I, sp- I suppose we should comment, perhaps, oh, maybe you, you can explain. Unfortunately, I, I think one of the reasons why she hasn't got as much attention in history is because she was tarred with that same brush that her father was yeah because there were some scandals around her and a lot of male historians have used that as a bit of a stick to beat her haven't they yes well she was very progressive Mm. and very small liberal in the way she lived her life yes and broke a lot of society's conventions and laws and good for her i say go hard girlfriend but a lot of women like that throughout history are tarred with various brushes Mm. to do with they must be mentally ill perhaps they're depressed they're they're hysterical hysteria they've got a wandering womb you know that kind of stuff yeah the wanton woman yeah exactly yeah although she was presented to court wasn't she she was part of the mm. of the royal court um, at the time but a lot of gossip um, surrounded her just as it had with her father yes she might or might not have been called a loose woman mm. at the time mm. well let's face it lord byron himself was pretty loose that's mm. right he, talk, uh, let's talk about double standards well exa- <laughs> exactly yeah he's revered as the great romantic poet and in fact, one of the one of the other brushes that she does get tarred with is that of depression mm. And this persists to this day. We were saying before, there are some historians who will not give her her due because she's seen as a depressive woman. Which is appalling because the vast majority of historians do celebrate her as the world's first computer programmer. Mm. Well, one of the strange things, well, I think it's a strange thing, is because she grew up in in the shadow of this wayward father. And yet when she passes at the very young age of 36, even for those times still quite young, she wants to be buried next to him. I don't understand this at all. He left when she was eight. Mm. He played no role in her life. And yet she still, I suppose, held a candle, held a flame for him. And also, weirdly, in Nottinghamshire, wasn't it? Because he obviously died out in Greece fighting um, in the Revolutionary War Mm. out there, which is why... The Greeks think he's a hero, but he wanted to be buried back home. And then she never had any uh, particular attachment to Nottinghamshire either. um, But she wanted to be buried because obviously next to him. Yes, despite everything her mother and those furies did for her, mm. she still leant towards her father's Do you think side. that's part of the uh, that sort of recanting? Because she'd basically been an atheist all her life and then suddenly you know, went back to, to God, as it were, on her deathbed. Do you think that had anything to do with it? Yeah, perhaps. I don't know whether because she didn't know him, she held him up as this almost mythical figure. That is actually sadly true. A lot of people who lose a parent at a young age will mythologise that that dead parent. And let's face it, too, British society had already mythologised Byron. He was Mm. basically Taylor Swift Mm. of of Victorian England. (laughs) Now there's an image. (laughs) 
Welcome back, folks. So we've had our hero for this episode, but we've also got a howler. Tracy, talk to us about your second person. I've chosen Marvin Minsky. Mm. Marvin, now, before we get into this, I've, I've got to ask, he's born in 1927. At 1969, he wins the Turing Award. He's a professor of media arts at, at, at sciences at MIT, winner of the Benjamin Franklin Medal in 2001. In fact, he was the scientific advisor on one of my favourite films of all time, Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Mm. The father of AI, they reckon. But look, I'm going to swear here, sounds like he's a bit of an asshole. I am so glad you swore because my next question was going to be, how much can I swear in this segment? Swear because the on. guy was a complete ass. Mm. Look, I don't agree with this idea of geniuses having to be awful in their personal lives. Well, I think you can be really smart and still treat people well. Uh, yeah, mm. well. Let's face it, there is a book about Sir Isaac Newton called The Arsehole Who Invented the World. Mm. <laughs> oh, I did not know that. Look, Marvin Minsky was a group of about 10 white American males mm. who in 1956 created something called the Dartmouth Conference, which is supposed to be the place where artificial intelligence was born. Oh, this, this sounds very sci-fi, very spooky. It is, it is. The problem is they only looked at AI, similar to Charles Babbage, as a mathematical way of companies making more money. Right. Without viewing it in a larger societal context, you know, how can we make the world a better place was not one of their conversations at the conference. Mm. But Marvin Minsky went on to become even worse towards the end of his life, which we won't talk about yet. However, he always had this idea that the human brain was merely, quote, a meat machine. Mm. Yes, I've, I've heard that phrase before, which is quite disgusting. All this idea about the machines and obviously with AI, machines replacing humans or and he say, no, it's just a machine replacing a machine, you know, because he sees the brain and the way that the brain comes together in exactly the same way as a meat machine, you know, as he calls it. Mm. We can't say that he wasn't a genius because he was. You know, he, he, we can't say he didn't do anything because he certainly did push back the barriers in terms of research and that kind of thing. You know, you didn't go to Harvard and MIT and all these places without being um, a smart guy. But the reason why you think he definitely should be in the howler box not the hero box, Tracy. Is, is it because of it? You don't think he's actually as impressive as some people make him out to be? Or is it just because of the other side of his personality? A couple of reasons. Because the way artificial intelligence was framed at this conference. Ah, this is important, I reckon, yeah. I think so too. It mm. crueled it up until this day. Mm. The reason why we have things like ChatGPT, which is fun, we can write stories, we can write an 8,000-word essay within two seconds because of this incredible innovation. Mm. But we still don't have great AI to help marginalised people, older people, kids. You know, we don't have... AI that really improves society and helps those who need it the most. We have AI that makes billionaires even more money. And you're saying it was this conference and Minsky that set out those imperatives. Precisely. And it continues in a lineage to this day to Elon Musk. Uh -huh. To Mark Zuckerberg, mm. to who's the guy who runs Amazon, who's the Be worst? Bezos. 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 Yeah, yeah. So there's this <laughs> the world's richest roll on deodorant. <laughs> So it leads to this neo-colonialism in AI that we see today. That's the first reason why I don't like Marvin Minsky. Yeah. The second and main reason is that, look, he's dead. We can defame him. Let's go for it. He is alleged to, when he was in his 70s, 73... Oh Here we go. I, yes, this is disgusting. ...have sex with a 17-year-old girl on mm. Jeffrey Epstein's island. And like, if that doesn't make him a howler, I don't know what does. Disgusting. Mm. Yeah. And it's even more 
evil than that, to be honest, because Jeffrey Epstein made huge donations to MIT, the Massachusetts yes. Institute of Technology, mm. where Marvin Minsky, Minsky co-founded the AI lab. Mm. And a lot of people at MIT were going, hang on, should we be accepting money from this guy? Mm. Epstein kept turning up at events and they're like, just get photos without Epstein in them so we can pretend we're not getting money from him. This mm. went on for far too long. Mm. Marvin Minsky visited Jeffrey Epstein in jail, even after he was charged with these horrendous offences yeah. and visited the island not once but No, that's twice. it. It's not not once, isn't it? It's not a one-off. There's no way you can just say, oh, I just happened to have met him and done it. No, there's clearly a pattern there. Just as I think you're right, there's a clearly a pattern in the way that that original group were trying to manipulate how AI was going to go. And, and this idea of those biases of the past creating our future are central to your book man-made so how important is minsky in the world we're looking at now oh he's crucial because you know the trope of the it guy mm. we were talking about ada lovelace before there's a rich history of women in computing that's been erased right. because of this and also because of the culture of the epsteins and the minskys in a lot of the tech organizations women aren't treated too mm. well because they're mm. really in the minority mm. so they go into the sector and, and could, through diversity and inclusion, create great change, but then they're forced out because of that kind of, they call it the toxic bro culture. Yeah. I don't know whether you ever, ever saw mm. Super Pumped, yeah. the story about Travis Kalanick, who started Uber. Yes, I have mm. seen that, yeah. And he sent off his executives for lap dances and to strip clubs, and mm. they used to call it tits on Travis. That's the kind of culture mm. that remains to mm. this day because of the Minsky history. And it's something we've talked about on the show before, actually, because, of course, you know, our point it's always been it's history, not her story, because you know, history has always been written by predominantly by men, for men, about men. Plus also, too, uh, there's a whole bunch of what I think uh, our future is based on, and it's the revenge of the nerds. <laughs> Look, I quite like the revenge of the nerds. I like that aspect of it. It's a, it's a fun film, but, but actually, to, to make, try and make a serious point out of it, it's when you disassociate the, what technology can bring you from what it can give to a society in a holistic sense. And you, you were talking about that. You were talking about Ada as someone who took a holistic approach towards the technology. Mm. Whereas when we, we go down the rabbit hole of where AI is developing, it isn't really being done holistically. You make an excellent point. There are some really good innovations. For example, there are robots they used in New York during the pandemic lockdowns mm. to go into elderly people's homes who were suffering from dementia and Alzheimer's and ask them questions and tell them stories mm. to keep them cognitively you know, aware to a degree. So there are some wonderful innovations, but they're in the minority, and you're right. I wonder how different the last 70 years would have yes. looked if the, those majority of women who were in computing in the 1950s weren't forced out in the 1960s when a lot of money started coming into the sector. It's basically madmen with punch cards. <laughs> it is madmen with punch cards. And that's why I wrote so much about the history of this in my book, because mm. we've got to remember the history of the little old ladies, the lol, who weaved the intricate matrices that were required to get the Apollo mission to the moon. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you talked about that 1950s women um, because there were quite a lot of successful women in the industry at that time. And by the, like you say, by the 60s, they're all gone. Is there one particular woman in case of point that you know, sort of 
exemplifies that story? Oh, there's Margaret Hamilton, the mm. rope mother who taught the little old ladies how to do the weaving to get the Apollo mission to the moon. Mm. We also often forget Rear Admiral Grace Hopper, mm-hmm. who created COBOL, the most easy-to-understand computing language back in the 1950s. Mm. So these are the, the names that are lost from history that we mm. need to bring back in now. And, and I think at this time in history, we are talking more about those missing voices. Remember Hidden Figures, that yep, wonderful yep, yep. movie? Or also, I watched a documentary a few days ago on Hedy Lamarr. Oh, yes. Now, Hedy Lamarr, we know her as uh, one of the most famous Hollywood actresses. Yeah, and yeah. also to escape um, Europe as, as the Nazi group. But she was a phenomenally talented technician. Don't we even sort of owe her Bluetooth? We do. And there's a link to A Lovelace here. All right where she created poetical science when she came up with the technology behind both Bluetooth and Wi-Fi, believe Mm. it or not, she created it with a composer, George Anthill. So she had this, we call it STEAM these days, you know, science, technology, engineering, arts and mathematics. Ah, not STEM, Mm. STEAM. STEAM. I like that. So she brought the A into Mm. STEAM Mm. in creating Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. Once again... Stop cutting the humanities at our universities. Exactly. This whole old-fashioned idea about us having a maths brain or an English brain is Mm. crap. It's neurosexism. It's ridiculous. uh, I I still failed year 12 maths. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks, so there you go. Any questions, any comments, just drop us a line on all your social media, Twitter, Facebook, Insta, whichever you prefer. That's right, and always the same handle, at the rest is hist. The rest is hist, and you'll find all that in the show notes. And wherever you're listening, don't forget to like, subscribe, comment on whichever platform you happen to use. It's always good to get your feedback. Yes, keep it all coming. Lots of fun. And lots of maps. <laughs> and lots of new guests to look forward to. Paulie, we've got guests galore, each with their very own hero and howler. <laughs>